Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, Mike Holder, of course. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Remember that commercial? A lot of younger people are shaking their heads no. A lot of older people are shaking their heads no. <laughs> well, it's been named one of the most famous commercials of all time. It was originally broadcast on August the 8th, 1991. Does anybody here remember the product of that commercial? Well, at the very end of the commercial... Michael Jordan celebrating. They show a clip where he hit a shot over Craig Elo to beat the Cavaliers. And then it goes black, and it says, Be like Mike, drink Gatorade. And it was really clever advertising because the only way any of us in this room could have ever been like Mike was by drinking Gatorade. It's the only way all of us, see, any, anyone here uh, could, could be like Mike. In my opinion, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever play uh, the game. And I realize one can make an argue, argument for someone different. But in my lifetime, someone that I've had opportunity to watch, he's the best. And I could never dunk a basketball like Mike. I could never dribble a basketball like Mike. I could never shoot a basketball like Mike. I could never play the game of basketball like Mike. However, I could drink some Gatorade just like Mike. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but think about that commercial this week, uh, that catchy jingle played in my head uh, as I prepared this week because Ephesians chapter 5 begins with a command from Paul to the church to be like God. Really. I thought wanting to be like God was what got man into trouble in the first place. So is this, is this right? Do I, do I really want to be like God? After all, it seems like kind of a high standard. In fact, it sounds quite impossible. Why would I want to be like someone who I cannot be like? Right? I mean, I, I cannot be omnipotent. I cannot be omniscient. I cannot be omnipresent. Now, I can be an omnivore and eat both plants and animals, but that doesn't make me more like God. So why choose to be like the most supreme being in all the universe? 
I don't know about you, but it seems like a reach to me. Why set my sights so high? Why set myself up for so much failure? What does Paul even mean to be like God? It doesn't, it doesn't sound possible to me. Why would he write such a command? Because here it is, chapter 5 and verse 1. Be like God. Let me say a prayer, and then we're going to jump into this text. Father, teach us. Father, we have been encouraged to learn Christ, to know Christ. And so, Father, as we open up your word today, teach us. Help us to learn. Open up our hearts to know you. Thank you for these ancient words. Thank you for your uh, living spirit. And, Father, may, may we learn afresh and anew today as we read and study your word together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To start with, here in chapter 5 and verse 1, the verb form of the word translated be at the beginning of verse 1 is in the present imperative. Now, when a verb is in the imperative form, it means that it's a command. So that's what we know about the imperative form. When it's in the present imperative, it means that there's an ongoing aspect to it. So it's not to be heard as a one-time command, be like God. Instead, it has an ongoing aspect to it and would be most literally translated as become. So then, it's to become like God. It's to daily, on an ongoing basis, grow and develop in this way. And it's helpful for me to make that distinction. The command then is not to be like God. Instead, the command is to become like God. And I hear that differently. So it's to receive this new way of life. It's to receive the holy hand-me-downs that are way too big for me and enter into a daily process of growing into them. It's to become. The question then is, who are we becoming? We are to become like God in what way? Paul writes, become imitators of God. You know, I think the church is in desperate need of people to become imitators of God. Not impersonators. Those are the religious folks. Those are the people just going through the motions, doing what they need to do to check off the box. Not impersonators and not imposters. Those are the hypocrites. Those are the ones who pretend to be someone on Sunday and then act completely different the other days of the week. Those are the ones who, who maybe act one way in public 
in another way in private. Not imposters. An imitator of God is neither an impersonator or an imposter. This is good. The word translated imitator actually comes from the Greek word where we get the word mime. M-I-M-E. Like pantomime. Um, Now, I'm not... uh, a drama expert. We have some in the room who are, but not me. I could call on Mark Callahan to come talk to us about mime today, but I did take a drama class when I was in high school, and uh, I loved it. It was actually uh, one of my favorite all-time classes, and one of the things that we studied that year was the theatrical technique of mime And so, just in case you don't know, um, mime is the technique used to express character or emotion or ideas or even the narration of a story without the use of words. That's the critical component. So, um, during this week when we were studying mime in my drama class, Uh, We knew that a day was coming toward the end of the week where we'd all show up at class and not be allowed to use any words that day. And we knew when we walked in the door that we were going to be handed an assignment on a little slip of paper. And at some point during the class, we were going to have to get up in front of the class and act out whatever was given to us on that slip of paper. And everybody else that's sitting down is going to have to figure out what it is. And so even though it's been 30 years ago, um, I remember what my, what my assignment was. I was supposed to be a businessman who was late for work because of the weather. That's, that's all I had. And I had to get up in front of the classroom and act it out. That's a, that sounds like a stretch. Like, Barrett surely couldn't do that. Uh, but I loved it. I, I enjoy stuff like that. And so I can remember... I can remember, you know, putting my suit on, and I can remember getting my umbrella out, right? And all just, just, just kind of coming to me as I went. I remember kind of getting my, my suitcase, you know, and walking to work. And then I decide that I slip in a puddle, and my, my suitcase goes up in the air, and papers fall, scatter all over the, all over the, the road into the puddles, And then I remember down on my hands and knees picking up the wet paper, right? And so then I decide I have some gum in my pocket, and I start chewing my gum. And then I take my gum, and I create this clothesline out of gum, and I'm hanging up my wet papers, right? So my papers can dry under my umbrella um, on my way to work. So that, that just happened as 30 years ago, true story. Uh, I got an A in the class for what it's worth. And here's why I think it's helpful for us to know the mime meaning behind this word. Because the command to become imitators of God is to become people whose actions, whose actions 
express the character and express the emotion and express even the story of God without the use of words. St. Francis of Assisi called his followers to become imitators of God in this way when he said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Jesus called his followers to become imitators of God in this way when he said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, imitators of God are those who live their life in such a way that they express the character of God and even the story of God without having to use words. Depending on your translation, Paul writes, become imitators of God and express the love of God in the way we walk. Become imitators of God and reveal the love of God in the way we live our lives. And so this is what Paul's getting at. Literally, Paul writes, become imitators of God and walk in love. And these two statements parallel one another. To become an imitator of God is to walk in love. So become an imitator of God and walk in love are the same command. When Karen and I uh, got married, I really wanted to, to get my groomsmen uh, a very meaningful gift. And we had nine of them, and so there was a budget. Um, but I ended, up, I ended up getting each one a Bible. And uh, I wrote a, a personal note on the inside of the Bible to each one just to let them know both um, how important they were to me and how important God's Word was to me. Um, and then I, I wanted to engrave some words on the outside of the Bible, uh, on the front there, uh, that front right-hand corner that would represent my encouragement to them as their friend, um, as their brother in Christ. And I thought about it and thought about it and overthought it, I'm sure. Um, I agonized over the decision longer than I should have. But, but then I decided to put this command from Paul. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It's also a command given by John to the church in 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. It's the command to walk in love. Walk in love. It's a great summary for how we are called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Walk in love. I've uh, participated in sports uh, and watched sports all my life, and uh, it's commonplace in locker rooms for the coach to put up a sign or a motto that the players kind of follow for the year, 
And often what they'll do is um, they'll put it up right above uh, the door. And so then as the players are, are leaving the locker room and through the door, and they'll jump up and, and hit the sign on their, on their way out of the locker room and onto the playing field. And uh, if, you've, if you've, you know, watched any sports on television, you've seen some of these signs, and they'll say things like believe or finish or win or attitude. There's a famous one at Notre Dame that the football players, as they go out, they'll jump up, and it's play like a champion today is what it says. And I've often thought it'd be awesome if we did that here at church, right? And we put a, just a sign up right there, right above, instead of, instead of exit. That's not real inspirational. Uh, we put some sign up across that back door, right? And so that as we headed out in the week, out onto the playing field, and we left the, the locker room of the church, and we'd all jump up and hit it on our way out the door. And I, I can't think of a better one than walk in love. Walk in love. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning um, really kind of breaking down this command in order for us to understand it more fully. Uh, I want to look at three aspects of love. Because our call, our command here is to walk in love. This is specifically, this is, this is how we become imitators of God. This is how it happens. This is our lane. We're not going to become omniscient or omnipresent or on any other omnis. This is, this is how we're going to become like God. We live a life of love. And so I want to look at three aspects of love that are important for us to know. Here are the three, the, the motivation of love, the example of love, and then the definition of love. And I want to look at all three of those uh, together this morning, beginning with the motivation of love. Paul writes, again, in verse 1, Become imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Walk in love. So as I read that again, did you hear the motivation of love in that sentence? The way John puts it, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 is, we love because he first loved us. You see, the only ones who become imitators of God and not impersonators or imposters, the only ones who are rightly motivated to walk in love are those who know they are dearly loved children of God. Do you know how dearly loved you are by God? Really? 
the word translated beloved or dearly beloved is a word. This is so good. It's a word that can also be translated as contented. (laughs) You see, the imagery that's created by this word is of a child so secure in God's love for them that they're content. When when we know the love of God for us, our hearts become full. And so we don't have to scramble around looking for love here, looking for love there, desiring love over here and there and everywhere else. Because our hearts are full, we know that we're dearly loved by God. And not only our hearts are full, but our hearts are at rest. Our hearts are at rest because we're so confident and we're so sure of God's love for us. Do you know that the good news of the gospel is not that you are good, but that you are loved? That's the good news of the gospel. That you are a sinner who is dearly loved by God. And the only way we become imitators of God, therefore, is as dearly loved children. When our hearts are full and at rest in God's love for us, then we walk in love. We walk in love. Children who know and are confident that they are dearly loved by their parents want to become like their parents. in the way that their parents love. It's the motivation of love. So that's the first aspect of love I want to talk about. It's the motivation of love. Second is the example of love. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Just as, now we're getting somewhere. This this narrows our focus. Christ's love for us is the example of love. See, what specifically or who specifically are we to imitate? Just as is the key. You walk into the classroom, and the teacher hands you a slip of paper that reads, imitate God by walking in love just as Christ loved us. You see, Christ is the example of love. 
And if you're like me and you like to circle your Bibles and underline in your Bibles, then circle just as. In, in your translation, it might just read as. But circle that and then go back to verse 32 in chapter uh, 4 and circle just as, or it might just be as in that verse. You see, in verse 1, there's a therefore. And when you come to a therefore, you always want to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's there to connect the just as in verse 32 to the just as in verse 2. To love just as Christ loved us is to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God acted toward us in Christ. See, Christ is our example of love. John 13, 34 is a, is a well-known uh, text, words of Jesus. And there Jesus shares the platinum rule, I like to call it, with his followers. He says, a new command I give to you. A new command. Well, what was the old command? If someone says, if someone comes along and says, I give you a new command, well, what was the old command that he's referring to? Well, the old command is what we call the golden rule, hence the name platinum rule. The old command's the golden rule, do to others as you'd have them do to you. It's a good rule, but it's a rule you'll find common to, to most world religions. Jesus gives a new command, the platinum rule. It's not do to others as you'd have them do to you. It's love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's no longer do to others as you'd have them do to you. Instead, it's do to others as I have done to you. Christ is the just as for all of us. He's the example of love. And then third, so we've talked about the motivation of love. If, man, if, if this is it, if we're becoming imitators of God by walking in love, we know the motivation, we know our example, and then third, let's talk about the definition. What are we talking about even when we talk about love? I read a book recently where the author suggests that Western Christianity has a love problem. And I agree with him. I love this line from the book. Listen to this. He writes, we have made too little of love by making too much of it. In other words, we have defined love to mean everything, and therefore it's come to mean nothing. Love is tolerance. Love is inclusion. Love is self-esteem. Love is comfort. 
We will use the word love when we're talking about everything from our spouse and our children to our pets and our favorite sports teams and to ice cream. We've lost the Christian definition of love. So Paul defines it for us here at the end of verse 2. Just as Christ loved us, here's the definition. Christ is the example. Here's the definition. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Christian definition of love can be summed up with this statement. He gave himself up for us. That's it. That's the definition. He, Jesus, he was not forced. He was not coerced. He was not made to do it. He chose to love in this way. He gave. He gave up his rights. He gave up his authority. He gave up his privileges. He gave up his comfort. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, either love gives or it's not love. He gave himself. He didn't give self-esteem. He didn't give comfort. He didn't give power. He did not give something. He gave himself. You see, love comes at a great cost to self. It is self-giving. He gave himself for us. He did it for our sake, not for his sake. He did it on our behalf, not on God's behalf. Now, Paul writes that he did it to God. The cross was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God because of our sin. See, there's no place in the Bible that allows the cross to only be an example of love. Jesus gave himself up to God for our sin. He was obedient to the will of God, but he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. He gave himself up for us. And when we love in this way, the world will know we're disciples of Jesus Christ. When we love this way, we preach the gospel. We preach the sacrificial son. We preach the crucified Christ without using words.
What's the definition of Christian love? Bible scholar Richard Hayes writes, what the New Testament means by love is only embodied in the cross. The content of the word love is given there fully and exhaustively. Apart from the cross, the term love has no meaning. Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Look, this is Jesus stating the definition of Christian love. It's not up for debate among his followers. John writes what it means to become an imitator of God so clearly in 1 John 3, 16, when he writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. You cannot read the New Testament And come away thinking that love is, quote, some fluffy human ideal of goodwill. Love is Christ giving himself up for us. Love is God crucified on a wooden stake. Become imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, this timeless text. We we become like you when we love like you. And so I, I pray. I pray, Father, that we, 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 we grow in our knowledge of your love for us because that's where it starts. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know how dearly loved they are by you that your Holy Spirit will teach them today of your love for them. That's where it starts. And so, Father, come alongside. Enter into 
anyone here, Father, anyone listening who, who doubts or struggles in believing that, Lord, make it clear. Let them know how much they're dearly loved, so loved by you. And Father, those of us who are your dearly loved children, who know it, who are full and who, who rest assured in it, Lord, help us. Strengthen us through your Holy Spirit. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Strengthen us in that. To walk in love. Just as Christ loved us. To give our lives away. So that we don't even have to say a word. Yet the world will know by the way we love that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.